This morning I'm going to be reading from the book of Mark, chapter 7, verses 14 through 23 from the Common English Bible. Then Jesus called the crowd again and said, Listen to me, all of you, and understand. Nothing outside of a person can enter and contaminate a person in God's sight. Rather, the things that come out of a person contaminate the person. After leaving the crowd, he entered a house where his disciples asked him about that riddle. He said to them, don't you understand either? Don't you know that nothing from the outside that enters a person has the power to contaminate? That's because it doesn't enter into the heart, but into the stomach, and it goes out into the sewer. By saying this, Jesus declared that no food could contaminate a person in God's sight. It's what comes out of a person that contaminates someone in God's sight, he said. It's from the inside, from the human heart, that evil thoughts come. Sexual sins, thefts, murders, adultery, greed, evil actions, deceit, unrestrained immorality, envy, insults, arrogance, and foolishness. All these evil things come from the inside and contaminate a person in God's sight. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Lorraine. And uh, I'll say that was a really good reading because I didn't get confirmation that she would read. Um, so I just told her, <laughs> are you going to read? So that was a very good on-the-fly reading of the scripture. So thank you, Lorraine, for that. Uh, God is good all the time. God is good all the time. I to you from Chicago, where uh, we had just, I'm just coming back from our midwinter conference, which is a national, well, actually Canada, actually the Evangelical Covenant Church denomination, our um, pastor, pastors meeting, our minister meeting annually in Chicago. And uh, what a great time, besides all the cancellations of Alaska flights, scrambling to get there. Um, I, I eventually got there a day earlier than I should have, um, but it was so good to connect with uh, my friends, other pastors that I don't, I don't get to see every day um, in other parts of the country. Also, um, to sit at the feet of amazing leaders and teachers um, and to be proud of the denomination part of who dating women since 1976 the first woman president of the denomination um, in history, and, uh, and getting to go to different um, uh, ethnic association meetings, so uh, the CAPA, which is the Covenant Asian Pastors Association. We always have a nice dinner uh, on Wednesday night when we get there, so, uh, and that group has been growing year by year, and so there's over 100 people at a barbecue place, and so we ate Chicago barbecue. I didn't know it was a thing, but I guess Chicago does claim some barbecue as well. And then to hear amazing speakers, uh, Pastor Eugene Cho, uh, Curtis Chang, Ruth Haley Barton uh, were there, so, um, and get to sit and listen to Common Hymnal, which is uh, a band, a collective of worship leaders who um, want to sing about or sing praise about uh, with lament or things, uh, things that are going on in the world that um, 
they care about. And so uh, it was really good uh, to worship uh, with that with them. Um, so I'm back. Thank you for sending me. I'm refreshed. I have new vision. I'll try not to like spew all of that on everyone and say this is the what, what we should do. Um, but I'm excited for sure. So uh, thank you for your prayers and all of that. But we are continuing in our Mark series. We're in Mark chapter 7, 14 through 23, as Lorraine read. And um, I wanted to start off by saying that the law and the precepts, the law and the commands of God point us, point God's people towards love, radical hospitality, and peacemaking. When we sum up the law of God and his precepts, it points his people towards love, hospitality, and peacemaking, uh, in spite of all the, other, or all, all the other things that come out of his law or his word. Um, and I know, we've, we, I've said this uh, a few times, many times, that we are in a time of great divisiveness, um, Polarization is a real thing on our social media feeds, on the news, in our lives, our daily lives. And I think it can cause a lot of anxiety. How, how many of you, raise your hand, feel anxious, have anxiety uh, when it comes to our election season coming up? Yeah. Yeah. Right? So I have anxiety. Uh, and, um, you know, we talk about things like uh, the people on the other side of the aisle, right? The pe those people who hold that position, those people in that party. And so there's a lot of this and that. Um, and it almost feels like if this side wins or this side lives, what's going to happen with my side, right? This side will die or the way of life, our way of life can't continue, and um, I think there's a lot of anxiety out there. There's a lot of fear. I know I feel it. Like, what is our, which I, without revealing, right, what is our country going to come to, right, if this happens or this side wins? It freaks me out. You know, it makes me sweat. And this week at the conference, I was reminded that God will do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine, that our faith, our hope, and our trust isn't on a party or a candidate or a position or a policy, but our hope, right, and our faith is in the kingdom of God and Jesus Christ, and Jesus saves us, amen. And as uh, one pastor put it, we don't put our hope in any one party, but we put our hope in the great party, the banquet feast of the kingdom of heaven, which will have victory, right? Victory in the end, amen? So um, uh, that's one of the things that I came away thinking about. And just to kind of, you know, push into this a little more, I wonder if our church, we kind of had a polarization, right? Those that sit in the pews versus those that sit in the cushion chairs, right? And I, I'm, I'm going to guess that there's, prefer, there's actual preferences, right? Because I see where you guys sit, 
And I know some of you prefer to sit in the old traditional hard pews, right? Pews! And some of you are like, so thankful that we took out some pews and put in, you know, the soft, cushiony chairs. Amen, Amen right? And there's, there's arguments on both sides, right? The pews, right? There's, there's a nostalgia about them. They go well with the, you know, the wood flooring and stuff like that. And pews, the pews are long enough to hold maybe like 10 to 12 people, and they're good for one family to kind of sit together, right? And you can space yourselves out the way that you want. On the cushion chair side, it's like, one, the pews are hard. These are cushions, right? And so we like those. Some people argue that it makes us more, um, more flexible in terms of how we use the space. We can take them apart, put them in a semicircle. We can put them in a circle, right? We can clear them out so that other groups can use the space. We can have a dance party in here if we wanted to by removing all the chairs. Yes, it's the chairs that rule. And so... Maybe we're just conflict avoidant in this church uh, by not choosing one or the other. We just have it half and half, right? So, so that no, no group of people will be offended and leave the church, right? We're going to leave this church because they removed the pews. Or we're going to leave this church because they don't have modern chairs in their sanctuary. There's a polarity. And what if we began to judge one another because you're a chair sitter, you're a pew sitter, Right? How dare you? You're so old-fashioned, rigid, you know, you don't know how to pivot into, like, the new way of worship. Right? Or, you chair sitters, you, you care nothing about the traditions of God. You're, you're all about, you know, uh, deconstruction, deconstructing the church. And, and you have no, like, heart for tradition. Right? You have no sense of, you know, the things holiness and coming and coming in reverence to God. You you chair sitters, you pew sitters. And this is kind of a funny analogy, but I think it points to something that oftentimes we use external labels or groupings or tribe tri, we tribalism uh, to define other people, right? And to put other people in that space, in that space, so that, right, we know where we stand, we know what our identity is, in opposition to the other, in opposition to the other's identity and stance. And I think um, that's like the bottom line, that's the meaning of polarization, right? That we have two poles, two different tribes two different parties, two different ways of being, ways of thinking, and people, uh, whether we agree completely with this side or complete, or have some things we're like, eh, I don't know, but what would it mean if I didn't claim this? Would it mean I'm saying this? So I might as well be over here, and I might as well be over here. The thing is that in our culture, in our society, that, 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 that's becoming wider, that chasm's becoming wider and wider and wider, until it's more about what we claim than really what our values and our hearts think or what we stand for. It's about the external labels more than 
what's going on inside or the relationships. And more deeply than that, I think we're beginning to forget how to have dialogue with one another, how to have dialogue with people who are different than us, who think differently than us, or who uh, claim something else um, that we disagree with, that it's hard to have civil discourse, civil dialogue, conversation. It's even hard to sit at you know, our own family table, extended family tables and during the holidays and have conversations about certain things, right? We've all been there. It's difficult, right? We'd rather keep the peace and not talk about these things. And Jesus is saying, right? You can't judge people. You can't judge yourself. You can't judge other people um, by external labels or what they eat, right? Or what's on the outside. Right? People are who they are from the inside out. Are you with me, church? The law of God points his people, God's people, towards love, hospitality, and peacemaking. But since the beginning of time, we've been blaming our misbehavior on other things or other people, right? All the way back to the Garden of Eden, Genesis, what did Adam say when God showed up? Adam, did you eat of the fruit? Adam said, I sinned because of what the woman gave me, right? I sinned because she gave me. And then Eve says also in turn, I sinned because of that talking serpent, right? It's like me the other day. I road raged and was impatient and yelled in my car because I'm having a bad week, right? I'm under a lot of stress. Or I wouldn't have if that guy hadn't cut in front of me, right? Hadn't cut me off. So there's ways that we avoid the responsibility of kind of our hearts or what's coming out of our hearts by playing the victim and saying, that caused me. Something outside of me caused me to do that. Are you with me? So we're tempted to see the source of our sin or wrongdoing as something outside of us instead of something within us. That's, that's Jesus' point. Right? Also, not just, not just uh, excusing what's going on inside us by pointing to external things, but also... The solution of sin, when we have sinned or when we are in sin, our solution uh, tends to be external when it actually comes from inside as well, right? We can't do enough right things or right acts to save us from our sin. Now let's, let's get that straight, the bottom line, right? You can't do enough you know, goodwill towards people, like serving, going to church, right? doing external activities to save you from your sin, right? The source of sin is the corruption in our hearts, and there's nothing that we can do to fix our own hearts, right? Except to receive the grace and forgiveness of Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. So we'll start with that baseline. 
Um, also, point number two is that Jesus does recognize sin, right? He's not saying there's no sin out there, right? There's no sinfulness out there. He, in fact, makes a pretty good list of sins that come from within us, right? And those things are sexual sins, thefts, murders, adultery, greed, evil actions, deceit, unrestraint, immorality, envy, insults, arrogance, and foolishness. So it's not all good, right? It's not all relative. Jesus does make a pretty good comprehensive list of bad things that can go on inside us. So there is sin. But the good news is that if we stop blaming things, stop projecting, and start to look inside us, right, that we may find relationship with the person, with the one who can save us, who can heal us. And that's, that's what we're talking about. Even in our tribalisms and our polarizations, right, we objectify one another, but we miss out on what's really going on inside people. We miss out on great potential in relationships, possible friendships, right? Raise your hand if you think or have friends who disagree with you, right? We can like people who disagree with us, right? You can... You know, I have friends. I'm a pacifist. I don't like guns, right? I have friends that go to shooting ranges and invite me, right? I disagree with them, but I'm friends with them, right? Because it's more than uh, our ideas or what we claim that make up the person, right? And if we only hung out with people who were like us or who thought like, a, like us, then when would we be challenged? When would we be stretched in our paradigms, right? If we only went to uh, a church where everyone looked like us, everyone liked the same worship songs, everyone liked the same sermon scriptures, everyone liked the same style, everyone was of the same ethnicity, ate the same food, our potlucks had the same, like, whatever it was, like, where would we grow? How can you be challenged? How can, um, how can we be iron sharpened iron? Right? Part of the strength of renew and our hope and what we pray for is that in the mosaic of diversity, that we, we challenge one another, we are stretched by one another, right? And somehow in the glob of worship and community that we're trying to do here, right? the beauty emerges. The beauty of God's kingdom emerges. And so, what does it look like for us to see the person and go deeper? And then what does it look like in our own walk to know that if something is going on in my life that I don't like, the right question is, what's going on inside me? Right? What's happening in me? If I'm being short with my kids and yelling at my wife or, you know, doing this or that. The question is, what's going on in me, right? And that's, that's what Jesus is pointing to. It's not the stuff out there that corrupts you and makes you impure, right? It's what's going on inside. It's in you, right? Live life 
from the inside out. That's where discipleship is. That's where transformation is. That's where the healthy walk with me is, is to really look inward from the inside out. Are you with me, church? Yes. yes. Another thing, uh, so I'll give a little context here in Mark chapter 7. Um, the Pharisees, uh, well, first in chapter 6, last, last time we, uh, last time I spoke to you, I spoke out of chapter 6 where Jesus feeds the 5,000, right? And Jesus is the great shepherd who's seen the people hungry in the grass, sitting in the grass, saw them as sheep without a shepherd, and Jesus had compassion on the people, and he gave. He received the boys two fish and five loaves, right? And we talked about what are your two fish and five loaves. You may feel like you don't have anything to offer, but Jesus receives whatever the small thing the boy had to offer and received it and took it and multiplied it. And then secondly, Jesus doesn't give in scarcity, but Jesus gives in abundance, right? Everyone ate to the fullest. Everyone enjoyed and there was leftovers. So Jesus is the great shepherd and the giver of abundance, right? He loves us and wants to fill us fully. And so um, you have uh, Jesus uh, doing more ministry after that. And Mark, more so than the other books, you see Jesus going back and forth over the sea, that Sea of Galilee, right? Going back and forth and doing ministry on the west side, doing ministry on the east side. And uh, most people talk about how on the east side, there's a greater kind of mixture of Gentiles, right, in, in that area, in the communities there as opposed to the west side where, you know, Jerusalem is nearby and blah, blah, blah. After, um, in our chapter, chapter 7, at the end, he ends up going up to Tyre and then Sidon, uh, which is mainly a majority Gentile territory. So Jesus does ministry on the west side to mostly Jews, and then he goes on the east side where he's doing ministry and healing among the Gentiles. Um, that's why a lot of people say, oh, in chapter 6, you had the feeding of the 5,000. In chapter 8, you have the feeding of the 4,000, right? On the, so you have the west side, 5,000, east side, um, four, feeding of the 4,000. So this ministry to both sides. You can even say, you know, ministry crossing the aisle and doing ministry in the, pol in the poles, right? Jesus is going back and forth, back and forth. So the Pharisees, it says at the top of chapter 7, come to Jesus. They come to where Jesus is at, and they begin observing him, right? And they're observing him to catch him and his disciples in doing something wrong, right? Doing something that's against the temple system or against the purity laws. And they begin to observe that Jesus and his disciples aren't doing the ritual ceremonial washing before they eat. I don't know what the process was, but... It was an involved uh, process of washing of the hands, right? It's a ritual um, saying, saying, if you don't do that and eat, then you're impure and unclean, right? So they're saying, why do your disciples not wash your hands before they eat? And so Jesus, you know, comes back at them um, <clears throat> and says, you ignore God's commandment while holding on to the rules created by humans and handed down to you, right? 
you're basically, um, so what's happening is in in the beginning, God's people had God's law, right? Capital L-A-W. There's God's law. But then as time progresses, you have God's law plus the tradition of people, right? And what Jesus is um, accusing them of is now that's flip-flopped, right? It has become the tradi- your traditions, capital, all caps traditions, and then the law, God's law following, right? And remember what I said to start off with, the law of God points God's people towards love, hospitality, and peacemaking. But if you flip-flop that and put human traditions and ritual before the God's law of love, then it becomes about those rituals and traditions, and, and it becomes about whatever the ethnic markings that is. So righteousness and unrighteousness, pure and unpure, are not just about God, right, following God's precepts, but they become about um, what defines us culturally, what defines us as Jewish people, and that means everything outside of that, everyone outside of that, is unrighteous, is un- impure. Are you, are, you, are you coming? Are you with me? So... Jesus is actually saying, because you've put human traditions in front of God's law of love, right? You've actually killed the spirit of love, right? You've actually called other people impure. You've called those people over there unrighteous, unclean, right? So you've looked at the external kind of characteristics of other people, whether that's race, ethnicity, Are they a Jew or are they not a Jew? Circumcision, non-circumcision. And you've said, that's outside and we're inside it. It's become become an ethnic thing. So you ignore God's commandment while holding on to rules created by humans and handed down to you. And he goes further on. uh, Jesus cites the Corbin tradition um, as a way that they violated God's law in favor of a human tradition. So uh, just a quick thing on the Corbin tradition. It's so if the commandment is honor your father and mother, right? The Pharisees have taken the idea of Corbin, which means I'm supposed to give a certain amount of tithe to the temple. And if I've given out of my generosity a tithe to the temple, then I'm immune or excluded. I get a tax break from giving to my father and mother. And so there's a loophole that you've created. You don't, we don't have to honor our father and mother because we're already helping out in the temple. Are you with me, church? And so this is what Jesus is saying. Basically, you've dissed your parents um, with your loophole. Um, and then it says in 14, Jesus turns to the crowd and says, nothing outside of a person can enter and contaminate a person in God's sight Rather, than the, rather, the things that come out of a person contaminate the person. This is, right, this is, this is simple. Basically, no matter how hard you wash the dishes or wash your hands or whatever food you eat, that doesn't make you evil or unclean. unclean uncleanliness comes from within you. So no amount of ritual uh, has nothing to do with what's going on inside, with, with the sin that's going on inside. And then afterwards, when he's alone in the house, when the disciples are alone in the house with, with Jesus, they're like, can you explain this to us? 
right? That's, that's the question of, dis, of the disciples, right? Tell us more. And as the disciples, we should ask those questions. We should push in and say, Jesus, I don't understand. Tell me more. Teach me more. What more are you talking about? So when they're alone in the house with him, the disciples ask Jesus to explain this riddle in more depth. And Jesus responds with a metaphor on food purity, which if you have read Acts, should kind of trigger a, a aha, like, oh, I've heard that before. Right? He says, it's not what you eat that contaminates a person, but what comes from the heart that contaminates. Right? And, and there's an aside that says, Jesus, uh, by saying this, Jesus declared that no food can contaminate a person. By saying this, Jesus declared all food clean. Right? And that triggers the Acts 10, right? Acts 10, Peter has a dream on the roof of the house, right, where a sheet falls down and all these unclean foods on the sheet that were declared unclean by Jewish uh, statutes, by Jewish uh, law, um, and God, the Spirit of God says, kill and eat, right? What has once been unclean is now all food is clean. It's not just about food, though, right? Because we know that different cultures enjoy their different foods. Food, when you talk about food and specific foods, you're also talking about culture, right? You're also talking about different ethnicities. And so in the image and metaphor of the food, kill and eat, it means the gospel, the good news, is not just for your palate alone, right? The gospel of Jesus Christ, the kingdom of heaven, is for all palates, right? Everything is clean. Eat whatever you want. And so in that sense, the boundaries, things that bound us, uh, are broken down, and the family of God is widened. <clears throat> so that connection here in Mark, uh, commentators, scholars say that Mark, more than any of the Gospels, um, speak to the Gentile. Uh, that's why he's, you know, he ex- tries to explain Jewish traditions, Jewish uh, rituals, more in the book of Mark, um, because he's speaking to Gentiles and speaking, to, and we see Jesus interacting on chapters after this uh, with Gentiles. So it's not about the outside, it's about the inside, right? It's not about external circumstances that victimize us into living evil out. It's not about the beauty and sexuality of a woman. Um, that's not the evil of in itself, right? Causing men, right, to stumble, causing men to sin. She is not the temptress to be annihilated, to be covered up and ostracized. But lust and sexual object, objectification comes from the inside. Are you with me, church? Money and wealth is not evil incarnate, but the love of money that is the root of evil. It's the greed and envy within us that drives financial exploitation or selfish, hurtful ambition. Wealth and money itself can serve the common good, 
and help individuals and communities flourish, right? The, the color of one's skin does not make one less pure, less righteous, less made in the Imago Dei, less able to worship the Creator. It is arrogance and hubris and a sense of supremacy that comes from within that tells me I'm better than you because of what you look like and because of what I look like. When the traditions of men usurp the law of God, the law of love, then it becomes about the things on the outside more than the person on the inside. External labels and traditions like culture, ethnicity, class, language, diet, accent, zip code, education, or lack thereof, pro-life or pro-choice, immigration policies, Democrat or Republican, left or right, liberal or conservative, affirming or not affirming, believers or infant baptism, and all the other polarities that are now plaguing our society and creating great chasms between us. But he is our peace, right? The law of God points his people towards love, hospitality, and peacemaking. If anyone is supposed to do it, if anyone is called to do it, it's God's, it's Christ's church, amen? That are going to be the peace builders, that are going to be the ambassadors, that are going to be the bridge builders in our culture, that are going to speak towards the possibility and the hope in reconciliation, right? The possibility and the hope of people being one and together in spite of our differences. Amen? And that will be, I believe that will be our witness. Two people at our conference that, that I came, went to, uh, two plenary speakers, both said, you know what? Before it gets any better, it might get worse. <laughs> Just imagine the last five years we've gone through. And it could get worse. There's no guarantee. One, one, Curtis Chang, one of the pastors said, you know what? The Republic could fall. America as you know it could fall. There's no guarantee. There's no guarantee. But you know what? Rome fell and Christ's church continued. Empires rose and fell and Christ's church continued. Right? Kings came and went, and Christ's church continued. And the great America could rise and fall and fall, but Christ's church will continue. Our lives continue, right? The law of love will continue, and will continue to be called to receive people, to include people, to love people across boundaries, to be Christ's church and Christ's light and witness to offer hope and a different vision for life and say, there's something more than this. Come, come follow Jesus, amen? So we say yes to that. We put our hope in nothing less than Jesus Christ and his righteousness, right? We don't put our hope in a party or a candidate, right? But we put our hope in the party, the great party, and the banquet feast of the kingdom of heaven to come 
Let's pray. God, thank you for your word. And 